and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Raquelita. Hi, friend. How are you doing? Can I call you Raquelita? I don't think I've ever done oh. that before. No, but you know what? I love it when my friends call me Raquelita. And uh, it is basically, I think Raquelita is a level of like intimacy that I know that, wow, we're really friends for you to call me that. So I love it when friends call me Raquelita. So definitely. Mm, I'll take it. We're friends. Yay. <laughs> How are you doing? Because I know the school year is wrapping up for you. How are you yeah. doing? I am so looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to this time of rest. I think it's just been like nonstop go, go, go. And so many different changes within this like last couple of months. Um, a lot of self-reflection of like what I want to go into next year, um, who I want to be, mm-hmm. um, and almost kind of like sunsetting different parts of who I am in my workspace of this year, of like past years as well, um, and trying to move forward right in this time of rest for me. I uh, that metaphor right there, sunsetting parts of myself. I did. I call dibs on that phrase because that was. <laughs> Really? Yes. I mean, I can't take the, I can't take credit. It's just like it's a professional term that we've been I've been hearing that my coworkers like, oh, we're sunsetting programs instead of like ending programs. It's like we're sunsetting oh. them, and I was like, that's amazing, right? Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like this gradual just coming to a close. I love that. Yeah. I love that versus the all of a sudden kind yes. of ness of it. You know, yes. and I love how you said that it's like, go, 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 go until it's mm-hmm. not, you yes. know, and it has me thinking of, uh, for those that don't know, I work as a makeup artist sometimes, um, uh, <clears throat> the past 10 years. And yeah, I, I constantly have this conversation with like brides where it's like, okay, for the past, however long you've been planning this, it's been mm-hmm. go, 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 go. And now kind of like sunsetting the end of it. Mm-hmm. It is like, we're here. It's the day. Let go and let God, right? All these kind of like uh, projects and moments in our lives that take up so much time and so Mm -hmm. much planning. And then uh, then they happen. And then that's it. And then you move on to the next thing, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's okay to let go. I think people are so scared of like changes or um, hold on to these concepts that they're old parts of themselves. And it's okay to say like this part of yourself no longer serves you, right? And then you can be grateful for it. You can mm-hmm. grieve it, um, but also welcome in something new, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So how about you? Like I know that you know we were talking about me, but how about your season? How's how's this like fall coming along for you? And I year? mean, I think it's always a never-ending process of things. I just applied for a job, um, which was a lot of go go go, right? Like the cover letter and the research and the resume and all that. Mm-hmm. And it's like throw it out there, and then it's it's out in the universe. You know, there's nothing I can do anymore for it. Um, and that always brings me back to this idea of writing, right? And the process of writing poems, the process of writing books, Mm -hmm. when you're prepping for competitions or when you're prepping for publications, it's like there's so much work and so much effort and so much time that goes into putting something together. And then the Mm -hmm. moment happens, whether it's the competition 
or whether it's the book release or whatever it is, the moment happens and you now have zero control over what happens after this. Um, And we say all of this because I am so excited to welcome our guest today, which speaking of endings, this is the last show for the season where we will have a featured guest. I know. Um, We'll have one more show. One more. But this is the last time we're having a featured guest. So our last featured guest for this evening uh, has been in this process of go, 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 produce, get it ready, do all the things. And now we'll be publishing their first full-length collection uh, in next year. Kemi Alibi is the author of Against Heaven, selected by Claudia Rankin as the winner of the 2021 Academy of American Poets First Book Award. Their poems and essays have been published in The Atlantic, Poetry, Mm -hmm. Boston Review, Catapult, Guernica, Them, The Breakbeat, Poets Volume 2, Best New Poets of 2019, and other places. Selected by Chen Chen as the winner of the 2020 Beacon Street Poetry Prize, Kemi has received a Pushcart Prize, Best of the Net, and Brittle Paper Award nominations, along with the support from McDowell, Tin House, and Pink Door. They've performed their work across the United States for schools, universities, museums, libraries, theaters, conferences, festivals, protests, and so much more. Y'all, if you're watching live and you aren't already hyped for this, please throw some love in the comment section for our featured guest this evening, Kemi Alibi. Welcome to the Words and Shit stage. Hey! I'm so excited to be here. It's fun watching y'all banter. I just kind of wanted y'all to keep going. And then I was like, oh, shit. No, yeah, yeah. Hey. If, if you want to see that, that will be the entirety of next week's show. Right? <laughs> I, I know. I'm just like, yeah, because we really haven't time to like full on banter. We have like a five minute like banter, but we just really want to get to know the, you know, the poet and everyone. So we're so glad that you're here. Um, like I said, backstage, what a wonderful glowing smile. Like even right now, you just like popped in. It was glowing. Yes. Look at these cheekbones. Look at this smile. Look at this like green and like the skin, and this melon like, is just oh, oh. hilarious. Because the radio. Oh, yes, yes. Oh <laughs> my goodness. I'm so excited to get into it. You could just, yeah, like I said, your presence already. You know, I I had a long day. I, you look like, you, you know, you told me that you had a long day too. So did Chippy. And sometimes, you know, especially like when poets come in and, you know, I, I don't really know them, but your energy is already giving me energy. And mm-hmm. oh, it's going to be a good show, y'all. It's going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, uh, we like to start off with asking, you know, our guest, uh, how's your heart today? How's your heart today, this week, this month, this year, friend? We just want to know, and like, do a little quick check-in. My heart is uh, in a state of surrender. It's just kind of like, you know what? Um, it is fall, which at one time, maybe in my youth, was a like glorious time to look at the trees turning colors and frolicking through piles of whatever, whatever. But now I'm just like, I, uh, it's dark. It's <laughs> cold. Um, <laughs> summer's gone. Uh, that's where I got all of my power. And now I'm fading into the abyss. Winter is around the corner. I'm, I live in Chicago. And so it feels like it's just lurking around the corner this winter. And, um, you know, it's another pandemic fall and winter, right? And so I I have had to learn how to move with the seasons and accept 
be inevitable of what's happening. So my mm-hmm. heart is in a place of surrender. It's like, this is not what I want. <laughs> you know, this this there's a, a clear shift that the environment is having that impacts the body, impacts the mind. Mm-hmm. And I have to flow with the seasons. That's just what we are all called to do. So that's how my heart's doing. I was like, I could struggle against it, but I, you lose that battle. You don't. Nobody wins that. So, what does it mean to start to um, turn inward during this time mm-hmm. to accept the change that inevitably happens and um, to to move with those cycles instead of resisting them? Surrender mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Do I get to ask y'all how y'all hearts? <laughs> I mean, if oh, you know, happened, ask us before. Yeah. Go for it, Chili. Oh, my heart. Like, no, thank you. You can pass. <laughs> my, my heart is in a state of um, urgency. Mm. You know, uh, the world keeps spinning, and uh, bitches got shit to do. Bitches got to do shit because uh, ain't nobody waiting for bitches. It's me. Mm. I'm bitches. Um, and so, uh, yeah, urgency is kind of where where my heart's been of just kind of like, okay, go, 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 go. Uh, but then allow yourself moments of rest. You know, mm. don't be mad at yourself when you have to take a break. You know, mm. so balance, fine. Trying to maintain that balance. Yes, that is where, how dare you? Okay, <laughs> Rocky, how about you? Um, I would say that I, I, my heart is in a state of emergence right now. Mm. So um, I'm thinking a lot about um, my coworker and I, we've really been talking about emergent strategy by Adrienne Murray Brown um, and what it means to be present in this emergence, right? Like coming into yourself, uh, whether through your environment, through your organizing. And I think that, parts of me have been really suppressed or I've lost myself. So I'm again, emerging um, to a new me really, right. And shedding these, these things that no longer serve me um, and kind of being okay to let go of, of the heaviness of the frustrations and just willing to be empowered and welcoming in um, things that, will serve me and things I deserve. So mm-hmm. excited. Mm. <laughs> I love this. I hear this connective tissue of like release, surrender, um, accepting rest, like this need for a kind of pause and release points mm-hmm. across the board. I mean, we're all in our thirties here. I feel like this is this is a <laughs> common theme for people in their thirties of just kind of like, okay, there's there's a new a new level that we're getting into. And that does require surrender. That does require yes. uh, work in a certain direction. And, and that does require the embracing of what we are becoming. Uh, and I can't get, I, we are so going to dive into this topic. No, uh, I know I you're think- talking about your thirties and I was like, wait, wait, uh, can, uh, can you like, can you tell us your sign? You know, cause we know that we're oh. our signs. Yeah. Oh, like big three at least, right? Yes. So, okay, sun is in Leo, but it's in my eighth house. So like, you know, that's that's a little different. And then uh, Capricorn rising, Ooh, okay. oh. Scorpio moon. 
Oh, okay. okay. Right. If you're going to pull me in a chart, I'll send it. I'll send it your way. <laughs> That's a whole nother interview. Yeah. I was like, now I know how to like. All right, let's how we how we're navigating. Okay, okay. I have a Le a moon in Leo, so let's let's do this. Let's go. Okay, okay. So you're Leo than me, right? I I feel like the moon and the rising signs are the true indicators mm -hmm. of self, right? But mm. you know. I'm also a, a, a in denial about my Leo son. Um, we'll see about that. We'll see about it. <laughs> my moon is in Capricorn, so I feel like we're all connected somehow. We're good. Yes. We're good. But this idea of surrender, I do want to dive into that later in the show, especially mm -hmm. because you are in a state nearing the phases of surrender yeah. with your new book. We will get there shortly. Uh, but we do like to open up by dipping, even though we've already kind of like dived into deep conversation, we want to mm -hmm. dip our toes for anybody that's just getting to know you for the first time, because full full disclosure, um, outside of the research we did for this show uh, and the work that we've read of yours, like Rocky and I are getting to know you really as a person for the first time today. Um, so we start off with a segment called Speed Dating. We will ask you a series of questions. Feel free to answer them as in-depthly or as concisely mm -hmm. as you feel is necessary to justify your answer. So question number one, what makes you feel the most empowered? Ooh, I feel the most empowered when I'm anchored in my desire, desire of all types. Oh. It can be very like thinking of Audre Lorde's The Eroticist Power, what it yeah. means to be really rooted in that sense of the erotic in all senses, not just in the sexual sense, but really mm -hmm. um, when, when I feel a, an embodied sense of my desire where my yes and my no feel clear and distinct, I'm like, I can do anything, <laughs> you know? That is, that's when I feel most empowered, when I'm anchored in that place. Ooh. I'm gonna that have is... to connect with my roots chakra right now. <laughs> right, I'm like, <laughs> shall, shall we move through some exercises? So, that's, again, another conversation. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, this is amazing, okay. Um, Again, okay, so my question, I've been having this this question like really been thrown at me and my like some of my friends too. But what values align with your being? What values align with my being? Well, I think because of how we described where our hearts are, mm -hmm. I am really valuing rest and a sense of time that is slow and unforced, forced nothing is what I've been repeating to myself. What does it mean to flow with time? To, uh, you know who Virginia Woolf said it, I think, I'm, I'm rooted, but I flow. Mm. And that is how, uh, that's, that's the underlying idea, value, ethos that I want in my actions and in my thoughts. What does it mean to, um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm also really loving these movements that we're seeing here in the United States, when we think about the NAP ministry in China, the Life Flat movement, there are so many people who are rebelling and resisting this mm -hmm. uh, like hyper-capitalist society and uh, by by pausing and resting and refusing to, to work until we die, <laughs> crash and burn, right? Reclaiming our, our time and our rest as um, something that we deserve. And so, bundled I, I you know i maybe the core of that really is just like um a uh a, a revisiting time and urgency mm. anchoring in rest and um 
listening to what the the body needs, which is never the go, go, go or the do, do, do. It's a different sense entirely. So um, there are a bundle of values there, but that's really where I've been trying to trying to root. Mm. Mm. Never, never mind being dust in the wind. Can we be reeds in the breeze, please? Okay. Reeds in the breeze. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's on this call. Okay. All right. All right. Um, my next question, and you, we were talking, you said you've seen uh, uh, some of these episodes, so you know this question is coming. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite food dish to eat? I have been, it, this is going to sound really basic, but this has been my pandemic MVP. Like I would, I, I survived on this, like practically alone for a while. It's peanut butter. It's just peanut uh, butter. <laughs> peanut butter on apples, on bananas, on toast. Like, listen, I did not come from a family that could throw down in the kitchen. We were a microwave meal family. So mm. like, I'm, I'm slow to whip up things. And so when I, uh, and like cooking though, it's something that I've learned to enjoy is not the primary activity that like um, is, is gonna get me going. I'm like, if I need something to eat and I need it in a hurry, peanut butter is gonna be there for me and it's gonna give me the protein I need to get through the morning. <laughs> you know, it's like any time of day <laughs> it's available to you. It's like just yes. stir, 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 get out uh, that spoon, do what you gotta do. So um I know it's kind of basic, but you no. have to respect the staples and peanut butter has been there for me like no other food has. I love it though because like I love peanut butter and my dog has peanut butter like she's right here with me and her ears were like peanut butter Peanut butter, peanut butter, like <laughs> it's that interspecies communication. Yeah, all together. Y'all and my husband are our best friends now, officially, because that is, <laughs> that is, that is his like number one food group. So yes, <laughs> versatile. Yes. Oh man! All right, so this is my last question, or this is our last question for the speed dating, but because um, it's definitely not my last question for the show. Uh, so if you could pick like either a song lyric or um, like a favorite quote that embodies your life, what would it be? Wow, that embodies my life. Um, well, I've lived so many lives. Um, <laughs> like ooh, the chaotic versions or the peaceful, like grounded versions. Um, I mean, I think just because it's so on my mind and I've been saying it so often and it's an epigraph in my book. I'm, I've been thinking a lot about Tourmaline's words. Tourmaline is this uh, brilliant black filmmaker who um, uh, during the uprisings in 2020 tweeted um, uh, um, something that is a, a borrowed phrase from other abolitionist organizers, but the way that they put it was um, so succinct and I've carried it with me in my work in life. And it's um, when we say abolish police, we also mean the cop in your head and in your heart. Yes. And I find myself in a almost daily process of interrogating where some of my motivations are coming mm -hmm. from. And we've internalized so much bullshit. <laughs> we've internalized so much that um, keeps us self-policing and policing others and unable to imagine beyond the constraints that have been given to us. And so when I ground in those words, I have uh, a lens to evaluate my my actions and my motivations mm -hmm. and to be able to um, do that untangling on a personal and interpersonal level so that I may also mm -hmm. contribute to it on a systemic 
level as well. Oh, I love that. Oh, that is untangling and tangling. Yes. Oh, mm -hmm. I feel like I already love this conversation. We're just only on the speed dating. We haven't even gone to your poem. I know, right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, can we just start unpacking right away? No, we cannot. We cannot. Um, that, that is just a little taste of the conversation that we're going to dive into. Um, but we want to open up as we normally do with a poem for anybody that's watching out there again live. Please use the comment section. We monitor it. We're excited. You know, Ayokun Lefalomo, friend of the show and former guest, is definitely hyped for today's conversation. So show some love, interact, ask your own questions. Maybe, maybe Kimmy says something that, you know, like, or it's like, wait a second, I want to know more about that. Ask your own questions and uh, we'll relay them. But first, let's let's get it going with a poem, if you don't mind. I don't mind. And I'm also really excited to read for y'all because I actually just last week got the galleys for my book. So I'm holding an uncorrected proof of Against Heaven. Yay. And this is the first time I'm going to read from it. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Oh, I was like, dang, I don't have to have like printed off pieces of paper or use my computer screen. It's a whole new day. So um, because I've already mentioned both of the epigraphs, um, the tourmaline um, quote and uh, um, some of Audre Lorde's Eroticus Power, I think I'm going to get started with the first poem in the book, which is, uh, um, yeah, it's a favorite of mine. I love that I got to start the book off this way. It's a poem called how to fornicate. One, after killing your God, hotbox the gun smoke. Cough out any vestigial prayer. Remember that spooky shit old boy hissed mid smite, bullet plowed, curling away. It's true. You belong to the fire now. Two, lose your Bible. Book of napkins to fold so the hungry busy their hands. Stop circling garden gates for scraps when a harvest splits your hips. Three, your booty a whole altar call. Sickle-pitched hallelujah, blessed queers are born screaming. Become the most honest song they will ever sing, or the worst, or both, or never mind. Four. When street preacher rebukes your thighs, TV after school specials your mouth, Adam tweets, fuck that nappy headed rib splint, snake primes the bite you die inside, say, my own, my own, my own, my own. Five, choir everything, tenor the roses, alto the mulch, mezzo the flies, base your bed, mountain they go tell on. Six, disenchant the talismans of gods you love and leave. Spit flesh back to wafer. Left swipe eyes you caught and kept. Feed them to the cross pyre, blood rewarming. Seven, remember Genesis. The worlds and little deaths you build with just your breath and hands. Silhouettes that singe the walls with new maps to salvation, till even the floorboards buck and cry, Jesus. Even the windows blush and say, amen. Ooh. Wow. 
<laughs> wow. Wow. That is. Wow. That's. What I love that you, go for yeah, it. that you start off your book that way and that we're starting mm -hmm. off the show that way. I, I know I can speak for, for Raquel when I say we both love fornication. So this yes, is a great do. way to get going. <laughs> oh, my what a way. And I know I'm really thinking about, you know, you're talking about Audre Lorde's, you know, um, power in the erotic. No, that's not what it is called. But yes. Yeah, right. Power in the erotic. Yes. Yes. It's not been a while. It has been a while since I read her essay. Um, but it is so empowering, right? Because when you were talking about it, even though you're bringing in like these religious religious aspects of it, because it is like our bodies are holy, especially to be queer, to be a person of color who's queer, to find the erotic in ourselves it is a holy experience, right? And so within that, for, like that first poem, I'm, you know, I'm hearing Audre Lorde's uh, words. I'm also getting like James Baldwin as well, and a little bit of like Nerolsey Hurston as well. And I'm just like, oh, look at where like they're gonna go with this poem. It's amazing. So can we talk about why? What's yeah? Let's because you know you have your book, and the book won't be released until 2022. So take us talk about like the journey of this poem, this collection, and why start it with this poem and then what kind of journey do you want the readers to go through as they can as they read i love that question because this book has been uh uh there it's taken so many shapes it's mm -hmm. been ordered in so many different ways mm -hmm. and i arrived at this book through the process of just writing poems i didn't conceptualize this project um i was writing towards something that i didn't quite see until all the poems started talking to each other. And so I thought they were talking to each other in a different way. And I actually had this poem, How to Fornicate at the End, and it's actually the oldest poem in the book. Um, I first started writing this poem 10 years ago. Um, it had a, it was different, completely different, a different title, like its shape was different. Um, but it was, it wasn't until I was, uh, you know, writing for years that I realized how much queer desire and this grappling with the like Christian hegemonic culture, especially someone who grew up Baptist. My uncle was a Baptist preacher, grew up going to his church, very religious family, um, didn't come into my queerness until I left Wisconsin, which is where I lived and was in college. And uh, so, so much of my work was grappling with this idea of um, the uh, queer fugitivity Yes. Your desire and what that meant for this culture of uh, obedience and cis heteropatriarchy that I grew up in. And so, um, it, but it was kind of a poem that I tucked later in the book because really I was like, what, <laughs> what is my mom going to think? <laughs> you know, it's still like, <laughs> you know, and also like, I didn't want to sometimes, I think queer folks can be really um whittled to um like bodies sex this type of eroticism when so many of our concerns are also structural about how this empire won't let us live all these <laughs> places won't let us live and thrive in um very material ways and so i wanted to resist that gaze at first mm -hmm. um um, but then it really was returning to Audre Lorde and this essay on the uses of the erotic. And I'll read the epigraph that leads this, um, this book. Um, the erotic is a measure between the beginnings of our sense of self 
and the chaos of our strongest feelings. It is an internal sense of satisfaction to which, once we have experienced it, we know we can aspire. For having experienced the fullness of this depth of feeling and recognizing its power, in honor and self-respect, we can require no less of ourselves. Mm. And so to anchor the book, to start the reader off in a place of power and possibility, uh, and I, I felt really important to me. And I think that, as I mentioned, even in our introduction, the question was, when do I feel most empowered? And it's when I can locate my desire, when I can locate that yes and no. And so to have such a kind of instructive <laughs> location of that at the beginning to foreground um, like a, a journey through these poems of what it means to, as individuals, locate our power. So collectively we can locate our power together. It felt really important to start with this poem instead of bearing it later because it really held so many of the core concepts in it. And I didn't want to be afraid of the erotic when I actually fundamentally believe that it can be a key to radical possibility. Oof, mm. love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like taking notes over here. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I love all, all the voices that, uh, you know, like uh, Rocky mentioned that uh, you kind of hear resounding through your work that you bring into the space. Io mentioned there's a little bit of June Jordan happening in there too. Uh, I definitely felt this sense of like, kind of like Ross Gay kind of feeling in there. There's just, there's so much like introspection, right? And, and inspection uh, mm -hmm. in your work, uh, as well as in a lot of what I was uh, reading uh, in doing research for this, there's a lot of speculation too, right? Of mm -hmm. possibilities in your work. And so I'm kind of curious, have you like, have you always been a curious and inquisitive person? Like, were you the, the kid that would just had like a ton of questions for the adults in your life sort of thing? Or where does this come from? <laughs> it's so funny. I, as y'all know, I was just said with Gowell, I was there for five weeks and uh, you know, all of us would have meals together in um, the dining space. And uh, I would ask so many questions because there are all these artists across disciplines. And I found myself at dinner just asking all these questions to the point where people would be like, so were you always like this? Like, why are you? <laughs> you could be eating your food instead you're asking us million questions. Um, but I, and so I've been reflecting on that because it's something that people have been reflecting back to me. And I'm realizing that although I've always been curious, I've, uh, it wasn't until adulthood that I really had an avenue for that curiosity as someone who grew up in kind of a very um, uh, patriarchal, um, uh, be obedient type of environment as kind of like, here's a patriarch, um, here are the commands <laughs> and the rules of the patriarch. And um, you can have questions about them, but keep them in your head, right? And I, I kind of followed, um, I, I was a, a, a very quiet child, a very um, kind of a, <laughs> obedient child, both at home and at school. But I was always a writer. I've been writing poems since I, you know, I think the first poem that I, my parents have, I was five. Um, and so I would always turn to, this private language of mine mm. to kind of explore my feelings and my questions. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I could really lean into poetry fully, which was um, later in high school and then when I was in college, that's when that internal curiosity 
wonder, um, like that the deep introspection was allowed um, to, to move outward in a way that wasn't as uh, punishable <laughs> or as um, uh, uh, dismissible. Uh, that's where I really found um, poetry was my avenue to agency in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And so um, it became a home though for all of those curiosities and obsessions. And uh, um, so, so that's where they primarily live uh, because they've been always the first place that I could find safety in being so curious. Mm. So many great things. <laughs> I know I'm just like uh, I I love to gush over our guests or I love to gush over like our poets and what they say like both in their poetry and you know how they describe your life and it it really wow wow I I know that you're saying like this is a you know it was a private language um for you to really delve in and explore who you are but I'm glad that you've you know, you allowed this private language to be so public because this is what you were meant to do. That's all I could say. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of want to, so when you were, let's kind of go back to the book again. Because um, again, this, this book has won so many awards, right? <laughs> Your eyes are like, <laughs> I, I don't know why. I feel like it's, I know when Chibi last week was like, yo, this book hasn't even come out and it's won like so many awards. <laughs> it's won the, it is won the award. Yeah, yeah. the award. For, yeah, for first book. <laughs> And like uh, I said, like the, the 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 that first poem there is ten years old, right? So obviously it's been a journey. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's wild. I, I'm gonna reveal something to you. I didn't even realize this mug was here. Okay, this is it's kind of embarrassing that I needed this to happen. It'll it'll be a late reveal, mid story. Okay. But <laughs> um, I'm I'm I feel so grateful that this book exists because there are so many reasons why it almost didn't. Yes, the oldest poem was first drafted 10 years ago, and I have always been a poet, yet the path to poetry has not always been mine, or I've run from it, or I, you know, needed to survive within racial capitalism. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was 19, I was like on campus, I was like the campus poet. Folks knew that that's what I was up to. And so the Dean sat me next to Sonia Sanchez at a dinner. Um, and I was too, I was too 19 to ask anything of value or to like <laughs> generate any decent conversation with her, completely squandered opportunity. But the one question on my mind that I really needed her to answer for me was, uh, should I be studying poetry? Should I commit myself to poetry? Because I come from a family where that is not what you do. Yes. I <laughs> I remember coming home from my first year of college and uh, my dad's friend asked me what I was majoring in. And I didn't even say uh, like literature, English, poetry. I was like, maybe journalism, you know, to oh. soften the blow. And he goes, you will be a doctor or a lawyer or nothing at all. And that was at the end of the conversation. And so I was really, though I'd always been a poet, I was, I've also had, you know, the realities of racial capitalism thrown at me. And so I'm sitting next to Sonia Sanchez thinking, this elder, this legend is going to give me permission to move into my 
poetic destiny. And so when I ask her if I should study poetry, she says, absolutely not. You are black in America and you need to eat. You need to get a degree in something that will get you a job so that you can survive. And if you're a poet, you'll be a poet and you'll find a way. And she said, I studied political science and <laughs> I figured out what I need to do. But no, don't do that. And it was, <laughs> it was baffling because that's not what I wanted to hear at all. Mm -hmm. But it was also the truth. And it was the same truth that my family had shared with me. And it's just the reality of what it means to navigate racial capitalism and like without uh, generational wealth or the type of security to be able to necessarily launch into like the least lucrative artistic profession. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> and so I, I mean, I studied political science and philosophy while also being really involved in the poetry communities. And I was deeply involved in organizing work and I found mm -hmm. myself really committed to writers in a different way. And so for the last decade or so, I've been really supporting um, movement journalists and other uh, like movement artists and writers and doing cultural strategy work. That's kind of where my political theorist mind went to um, in a way that still felt like my creative energy was being funneled towards my root passions. Um, but that meant that my daytime, like most of my life was being allocated towards that work, which was really kind of arduous. And it was where a lot of my energy was going. So poetry had been on the back burner for a really long time. Um, I would, I was always writing and I would send stuff out, but, um, and so I would take workshops. I would be a part of communities when I could, but the center of my life was something else entirely. And then the pandemic happened and I, you know, the, the world stopped in a particular type of way. And I really had a confrontation with the work that I was doing, where I realized that, I mean, we're all disposable to this empire in so many ways, like the reality of that became so clear. And our labor in particular is just completely exploited in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I need poetry to survive. I need to be making to um, feel like I'm, living a life worth living. And I realized that I had all of this work that was that I was deprioritizing, um, even though it was being in poetry community, reading the work by authors I loved was the only thing that actually like got me up in the morning. <laughs> and, and so I had this kind of recommitment to poetry and in the value of my own work, which I kind of put to the side. And I was like, maybe, Maybe I have. Maybe I should just let the these poems go. Like maybe, maybe I have a book. Maybe this is. And so I started to look at my poems and it became very clear how they were all speaking to each other. I kept thinking like, oh, like it'll take years, like way more years since I haven't been doing this in a, in the you know traditional MFA type of way. Like I haven't had years exclusively dedicated to this. It's always been something ongoing in the background. So maybe I'm like, maybe there's no book here. But I pulled the poems together, saw the way they were talking to each other and was like, okay, cool. Like these Claudia Rankins judging something, her work saved my life. Don't let me be lonely actually saved my life. Um, and so there's also something about this time where there's so many 
poets who I've loved, who um, Black poets in particular, who are also in these positions in the literary world where they are decision makers in particular ways, where I would want to send my work to them. So, so you know, like, yeah, that wasn't always true. That maybe wasn't, wasn't true like 10 years ago when I was in college, right? Like who would be these, who would be the decision makers to say, yes, like who would be these readers to mm. um, accept these manuscripts in? But I saw that Patricia Smith was judging a contest. I saw that, you know, like th there are poets that I've learned from that I love, that I admired, who were saying, hey, first books, we want to read them. And mm -hmm. so it was this, it was the timing of that, the timing of me arriving at my own, like the necessity of my work. And then mm -hmm. legends who had been guiding me while like before, during, after work, I'm writing and reading and learning. Those those folks being in positions of um, uh, like welcome, power, and authority to be like, yes, we're <laughs> we're reading for first books. And so I submitted. I was like, who knows what this is? Shoop, and I sent it off um, just as a practice because I'm always like, just send things, just let things go. And so it was really surprising to me um, then to hear that it won the first book award. Um, but it was such a gift to be able to um, spend time with these poems and to acknowledge for myself that like, yes, I, I've been living with these um, for a long time. They uh, are speaking to each other in profound ways to me. I, I know I believe in this. So like y'all will be, you know, lucky. <laughs> to, you know, I already had this self-belief that like this is, um, yeah, this work has been living alongside me in a, a, a real way. And so it was really the process of getting out of its way. And so much of the challenges of the last few years have made me realize that, especially as like uh, as queer artists, as um, artists of color, um, mm -hmm. there is such a potent transformative potential in mm -hmm. the work that we're putting out. Like there is the entire culture needs to shift. And the entire culture is also designed to tell us that our work isn't worth shit, that it's not actually valuable to anybody else. But if, I mean, I think that's because it is such a challenge to empire. I think that when we, when artists of color, when queer artists are really allowed to make and imagine new possibilities and to name our experiences, um, that, uh, empire requires our silence to continue in that way. And so I, I had to really let go of the voices in my head telling me that this was not a worthwhile endeavor. And once I got out of its way, I realized that I actually, there was like treasure waiting for me. This this feels like real treasure to have um, uh, uh, someone I love, Claudia Rankin say yes to this manuscript, to be able to work with the folks at Grey Wolf my editors have been so amazing. Um, and to actually be able to have this, these poems that outside of my house and my mind, um, <laughs> to be able to share them with readers and to be in conversation with writers I've loved. Um, yeah. So I guess that's, that's the, that's the journey. <laughs> Maybe a yeah. long time. I mean, but that's a beautiful journey though. I mean, wow. I I love it. Wait, wait, where's the reveal? There was there was gonna be a yeah. reveal in your journey. Oh, oh. <laughs> so <laughs> I totally forgot about that because it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I was so confused that I had won this contest. I would wake up every day and be like, <laughs> think and think. 
I, they made him sick. And so the brilliant poet, Sanam Sheriff, who is a deep, dear love of mine, had to make this mug and send it to me. And it says, Claudia Rankin chose me. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and as I was revising my manuscripts, like I would, I would use, this became my daily mug that I would use for my morning coffee as I'm revising my manuscript um, to kind of, to, to have some self-belief that this actually happens. It's not an elaborate hallucination. Um, uh, and I, I, who am I to dismiss the choice of Claudia Rankin? If she yeah. says that this manuscript is worthwhile, then I must believe it. That is uh -huh. amazing. Amazing. Absolutely incredible. Claudia Rankin does choose you. Um, <laughs> I do want to dive into the work that you you did as a cultural strategist because you did that for so long, and obviously that has an influence in you, who you are, and and your work, um, your poetic work. But I feel like this talking this about is, the manuscript, this is a good moment for yes. another poem. If you uh, would please, if you yeah. would please, yeah, I would love to. Okay, um, I kind of want to read. So I said that the oldest poem was around 10 years old. But then, of course, has a lot of new work as well. Um, so I think I want to read the last poem that I wrote for the manuscript, oh. which I snuck in um, <laughs> like a month. Like uh, I, I, I like to spend a lot of time with my poems because I'm, uh, I'm such a reviser. And so this poem, um, I snuck in like the month I was supposed to submit the manuscript. And there's a series of poems called Against Heaven. There are five title poems. And three of them are double golden shovels. I kind of have taken liberties with the golden shovel form. And so the last line, uh, the uh, first word and the last word of each line come from uh, songs. Uh, and all the songs kind of interrogate heaven in a different way. And so I have ones that interrogate heaven from like a, um, a religious a context and a black liberation context, but there's so much heaven in the love song. There's so much heaven in the like crooning for your boo. And so <laughs> there's this uh, Shade song as y'all may know, um, Cherish the Day, where she sings, if you're mine, if you're mine, I wouldn't want to go to heaven. Mm. And how ridiculous is that? But like also, <laughs> that's what love makes you do. And then of course, we may know that Belinda Carlisle song, ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth, right? Yes. Um, and so I used those lyrics. Um, uh, for my double golden shovel, and this is the last poem uh, I wrote for the book, uh, just to stick with some queer love and sexiness. <laughs> Against heaven. If giggle soaked, Henny leaned, young MA's ooh sweat down to its naked ooh. You ripen apart till tender queer innards drip and dangle from fuckboy halves, then baby, were you to waft my way, bright peach begging to cobbler, let heat do what it do. Mine gut pent and wasted, sun born to sweep the orchard of you. If forgiveness, uncoupled from the cross at our jugular, was a song we could know. You and I against innocence in a red karaoke duet of fest mess, then what were slights to scar the verses 
cheats to bloody the bridge. The chorus, that's mine. There is a balm in Gilead. Sticky resin turned perfume and leave-mucked a grove's worth. I clown for you. Two-step to trap shea-buttered, lavender splits with you, and ooh, wouldn't we get swept out this Apollo, ancestors booing our bits, thin heaven. Want a blue blaze snuffed in every realm. To misabolish and refuse your rule is to pawn my only heirloom, blood for Sandman's broom. I toggle fool to fool for a go at mercy. December fists blooming to rainbow strobes, dance floor a place to practice mesh and lace and rope and strap our binding, our betting on heaven as our circling set to crash, ripping pavement up to rewild earth. Mm. Wow. Wow, as like one of my favorite people would say, a gospel, really. Yeah. <laughs> That truly was. Wow. I, I, I do have to say that one of the reasons that we changed the format of this show to what it is now, where we are here with you while you're reading, is so that we can all see the way Raquel responds to poetry, because <laughs> it is such a beautiful thing to witness as she takes it all in. Um, that poem. That poem. I read a, a few of the golden shovels that you have that you've put out in the world and just you know threw my computer across the, uh, across the room. Um, because they are so, so good and so visceral and so much image. Um, props, props. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah, that was that wasn't going in, into a question. That was just what we do and just uh, gushing on the great work. Um, no, it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm all, I just like love queer love, right? I think mm. it is the most radical, more most transformative, more like empowering, like liberation there is right just queer love to see just queers mm. expressing themselves in different ways it's mm. love it I mean, love this my community see you used the phrase earlier queer fugit uh fugit fugit fugitivity Fugitivity, yes. I spelled it right and my tongue couldn't figure it out. You know, so <laughs> it is kind of like this this idea that like for a long time as queer people, we were kind of like hiding, right? We were on the run from something. We were, you know, like feeling like maybe we were being chased or we were going to get caught. And so this act of celebrating that kind of love is kind of like a coming out of the light. I, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I, um, this is, this is such a queer book because I'm so, because I'm such a queer person and this <laughs> is such an obsession of mine because I do locate so much radical possibility in it. And I think specifically, of course, of Black queer fugitivity. Mm -hmm. like. And I, you know, especially with that poem, sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm still figuring out how I want to read these double golden shovels, which are like very image heavy. And I want to sing them because they're so rhythmic. And I also know yes. it's just a wash, but there's also something that I, I locate so much um, power and sensuality in the sonic. And even when I think about gospel music and like these uh, spiritual sonics that really, uh, you know, the folks around me would um, completely sur surrender to this sound and um, be like taken by the spirit. And um, it's it, the, I, I, I think about um, what it means to have such embodied 
experiences feel transformative and there are places where it's kind of safe to have that transformative embodied experience and like acceptable and there are places and spaces and bodies where um like the modes in which we access that type of transformation and like deep embodied experience is um like illicit and uh, uh um like will be disposed of for for those um uh those portals to pleasure and to transformation and so when i think about um what it is to explore queer desire and to think about queer fugitivity it also makes me think about what it is to um again always going back to audrey like what type of power does that grant like once we can access that type of um uh um departure from the norm and what is safe what is deemed safe and acceptable once that feels like something we can readily do um in our own bodies and with other like uh like one or two or three or ten other bodies you know however you want to get down um <laughs> love it love it right then then what is then how does that make rebellion and an even broader sense feel more possible once we have an like a once we've embodied a sense of rebellion in the private desire that we can partake in then how can that be made public so that there is um those those ruptures can uh exist outside of the privacy of one's bedroom or car or you know library wherever you get down <laughs> can exist right in, in other spaces and so yeah to me throughout the book there are clear um ties i'm trying to make between this uh the rebellion of a uh, queer desire and the this idea of black queer fugitivity and what it means to be able to practice that type of um uh power and disruption both in these personal spaces and then in these larger systemic structural realms, the connection feels clear to me. And I'm hoping that the poems, um, as we travel through them, are also making those connections clear. No, I think that's that's amazing. I um in the vein of that too, let's, you know, of talking about like queer love and then this empowerment of um pleasure, right? Because writing is a form of pleasure, right? We can find eroticism and the erotic in that. Um, we can talk about, can we talk about Echoing Ida, which is a program you help build for Black women and non-binary writers, right? Um, what drove you to create this program? I would assume, obviously, out of an act of love, but let's, I just want to hear from you, what drove you to create this, this program? And what is it, like, how does it benefit these writers? And, you know, what was your vision for that? Oh, Echoing Ida. Echoing Ida was the brainchild of Alicia Walters, who mm. is, was a, um, is a reproductive justice organizer who saw the need for um, uh, these uh, brilliant Black reproductive justice organizers to be able to tell truths in really impactful ways in media. And when I came to the program, it was a few years old, and I was, you know, this poet who really believed in the power of the word and in what it meant to, um, and all that language could unlock. And so I came when I came to the program, there was already this robust community of folks who were like primarily journalists, like um, or like 
moving in media in that type of way. And then over six years, I had an opportunity to build with those folks, bring in more people, um, start to think expansively about the type of language work that we were creating together. But I think that it was Echoing Ida that really located the um, pleasure, the idea of pleasure as birthright. It was mm -hmm. the writer, especially, um, you know, there are writers like Jasmine Burnett out of um, Cleveland, Ohio, um, Bianca Campbell out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, these reproductive justice organizers who understood that these fights that were happening uh, are not just about abortion excess, but actually over autonomy of our bodies. And when we think about bodily autonomy, um, mm -hmm. especially for Black folks, um, mm -hmm. for, um, and then uh, thinking about um, Black folks who can get pregnant, who have a history in this country of our um, like sexual autonomy and reproductive autonomy being stripped from jump. What does it mean to be able to anchor in the idea of pleasure as uh, the Black person's birthright, that our bodies are not used for labor or for reproductive labor or mm -hmm. any other type of labor, but um, that the body is a site of pleasure and that is what is deserved. And so these Black queer women and non-binary folks within Echoing Ida were the ones who really grounded me in this um, I, the radical possibilities of pleasure and bodily autonomy um, as an organizing principle and then as language and arguments that came into the work that they are writing. And so um, I remember a retreat that we had because we would have annual retreats, all the writers would get together and we would like build skills and write together. And we had a kind of echoing out a manifesto that we created and one of the top um, uh, like tier agreements as we're having this rigorous conversation about who we were and what we were up to uh, was pleasure is our birthright. And so mm -hmm. I really, mo most of these poems were written while I was working with these writers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there were some very early ones, but really it was the six years together and um, thinking really strategically about the narrative possibilities for Black organizers and Black movements in this country and Black reproductive justice movements in this country. Um, that's where a lot of the ideas started emerging for this book. And even when I think about um, everything I'm, I've described about Christian hegemony, uh, those ideas became more urgent as we untangle the history of um, uh, abortion as a wedge issue. Mm -hmm. Abortion wasn't a wedge issue until it was made a wedge issue by the right because they could plant this idea in evangelical Christian communities that abortion was wrong. Before they actively did that, when evangelicals were polled, there wasn't this binary um, between like, uh, it wasn't as polarized of an issue until it was made one. And it's because within this country, we have this meaning making infrastructure, this um, like Christian hegemonic uh, infrastructure that uh, people haven't been embedding so many oppressive ideas into. And as a communication strategist and a narrative strategist working with these reproductive justice organizers, we were always thinking about like what what is the narrative battle that we're in? Mm. And what is and what became clear is that it's it's not just about 
an issue. And as Audrey Lord says, like we don't live single issue lives. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the issue was never, there are so many people are fighting at the issue based level about everything from abortion to trans liberation. When we have a meaning making infrastructure that's much deeper than that, and Christian hegemony holds a lot of it. A lot of these ideas can be planted into this foundational um, meaning-making infrastructure, and it floats up into these issues, um, and that's done really deliberately. And so, as and I don't know, that's a hard thing to tell a bunch of like policy folks that we need to start talking about. It's like, you know, they're like, well, you know. And so I found myself going to my artwork my poems to start to untangle the ways um, this God in my head, this uh, kind of patriarchal authority um, who had autonomy over my body and was surveilling me all the time. Like what are the ways in which um, those ideas still lived in me and what would it look like to start to untangle them? Mm -hmm. So this is a long answer to say that Echoing Ida was such an incubator for the ideas that ended up appearing in my poetry, even though so many of the writers in Equinata weren't poets, but they were all narrative strategists. They were all really grounded in liberation for Black women, Black non-binary people, mm -hmm. and um, were really grounded in the idea as of language and writing as a liberatory practice, even if the genres that we were working within were not the poetic variety, <laughs> I was the sole yeah. poet, um, but the ideas are still in there and informed by all of those amazing writers and thinkers. I love the way you phrase, you know, how like ideas work in tandem with each other or can work against each other, the way people do, you know, work in tandem with each other or against each other, the way words and language uh, does that. Um, and we have such a great question from, from Io. Uh, in the comment section, Io writes, uh, partly because I've been writing against poems for a few months now, and just yesterday I saw uh, that Frank Bedard has a new book called Against Silence. I'm curious about the title, what each word means to you, if there's anything else besides the resistance slash rebellion of against, which could also suggest a kind of leaning on and mm. troubling the idea of what heaven is. Mm. I love this. Um, because that's right on the money for me. And I think I I wrote five title poems because there are so many ways that Against Heaven could be read. When I first arrived at Against Heaven, it was very much the oppositional um, against the um, kind of, again, the Christian hegemonic idea of um, uh, pop a god in the sky, um, with, <laughs> you know? And the first Against Heaven that I wrote was very much grappling with that. Um, and the next against heaven that I wrote uh, conceptualized the against as like the the leaning on that you mentioned, like the touch um, being important, like what it means to be um, uh, really resting against this um, uh, like uh, the beauty, power, transformative entity of a heaven that is not celestial, but here on earth that we find in one another. Um, and then there are, you know, other iterations of against heaven where, for instance, there's a, you know, one is a blackout poem of a news article that 
uh, was about Chicago suicides. There have been a rise in black suicides in Chicago. Um, uh, this article is a 2020 article, but um, that trend has continued. And so that is also an against heaven. What does it mean to be against the idea that the afterlife is a safer or um, place for black people to be? Or um, what does it mean to, um, what does it mean to really claim this earth and uh, all of its possibilities as something that we wish to restructure in a way that allows for our liberation instead of um, some of uh, um, uh, in, instead of placing uh, all of our liberatory possibilities in an afterlife. Um, there's a poem that specifically grapples with that using a gospel song going up yonder. I don't know if y'all know that poem that song, but it has a lyric like, um, I can take the pain, the heartaches they bring and the comfort in knowing I'll soon be gone. As God gives me grace, I'll run this race until I see my savior face to face. So it's this idea that like all of this stuff in this life I can handle because one day I'll die and I'll go to God and that's when things will be chill. And I think that is, that's been a, heaven has been a very, um, necessary and useful concept, especially for Black folks in America mm -hmm. uh, because of the the torture that you had to endure. And so um, I wanted to be able to grapple with that reality while still claiming the like righteous idea that also on this earth, we can be allowed freedom. And so there, uh, there are many through the title poems, I play with different aspects of this against heaven idea, some of it being very oppositional, but some of it being about proximity to the juicy, serene things that we want and need in this lifetime. Mm. Mm. Amazing. Again, <laughs> all your answers- I can't wait to get my hands on the book. <laughs> yes. I think that is, I think that is a good way to end our conversation, and also invite you to read one more poem if you can against heaven. Um, thank you again so much for gracing us, for speaking, for sharing your words. For it has really been a holy experience as like a queer person of color, you know, to just hear you to be in your presence and. Thank you so much. And I know a lot of your work has, you know, very much center like queer, specifically queer black community. But again, it's just, it's nice to hear this beautiful language and to share it and also to have, to be in community with you like that as well. Absolutely. This has been such a treat. And um, I, I love talking with y'all. Apologies if my answers have been like mini lectures. No, love it. Again, it's your show. <laughs> I'll be here next week. Um, um, so I think with that, um, I, I'm i going to end with the first Against Heaven that I wrote. Um, uh, and I wrote it in that, uh, the summer of uprisings. And this was really directed by that tourmaline quote that I'll repeat. When we say abolish police, we also mm -hmm. meet the cop in our head and in our hearts against heaven. I used to pray to a man-faced God, kept his whip beneath my bed, set alarms for daybreak lashings, pressed white cotton to the flay, 
made flags of the blood soak, raised them from my window, called this worship. Drummed heaven a jury small as a county where nobody looked like me. Winged bailiffs plucked my cuffs to roast my cousin in a hot coal cage, called this roulette freedom, licking my raw wrists. Witch kill blew my tatters down, peeled me to the blackest jade, remothered me to the squad car blaze, loot and shard my siblings now. Witch kill, forgive me, I feared the devil's prison, misfaith the sheriff in the sky. Why? Witch kill, forgive me, family, I'm miscountried, our swarming anthem of my only homeland. Heaven and hell are the same empire, half-slipped, gasping, clutching our hems, ungoverned by the lie. With fists and flames, we cleave. Applause, applause, applause uh, for Kemi. Uh, like Io said, thank you, Kemi. You're brilliant. And I can honestly listen to you speak forever because um, so much wisdom uh, was shared in this conversation. Uh, so much, so much joy, so much hope, so much truth uh, that I'm going to, I'm going to carry for a while. Uh, so thank you for that. Yeah, I'm so excited. I'm already like, oh, I can't wait to like gift your book to friends. <laughs> hey, <laughs> y'all, this has been such a pleasure. Y'all are such wonderful hosts. Your questions were amazing. I tried to resist the urge to ask all of your questions back to you. It's always possible the first time, but um, thank you for being the first spot where I could read from my. My little book. I know. I know. What an absolute honor for real. Like, thank you so much. I uh, I just knew it was gonna be great the moment like I saw your smile backstage. I was like, oh, this is gonna be a great show. This is gonna be great. The energy is great. Like uh, yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for you know debuting um some of your work with us and I can't wait to hold your book and your words. And like I said, to gift it to my loved ones as well. The ones, you know, who would need to hear your words and to be inspired. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. I know we have it displayed right now on the screen, but for anybody that's listening to the podcast uh, after this, can you let people know where they can find you if you want to be found, um, where uh, they can get more info about your book and all of that fun stuff? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I think I am at the point where I need to be found. I cannot hide anymore. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you can find me at kemialabi.com. My first name, my last name. Um, you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter. It's my first name, Kemi A, and then my last name, Alabi. Kemi A Alabi at Kemi A Alabi on Instagram and Twitter. Love it, love it. Well, everything Raquel said and more. Thank you so much. One more time, people give it up in the comment section for Kemi Alibi, our amazing guest, rounding out season three of Featured Performers. Uh, thank you so much for your time here with us. A pleasure. Thanks, y'all. Yeah. Thank uh, Raquel, 
Yes. I am feeling the joy. I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the rebellion. Um, I, 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 I feel like I've said this before, but every time that I, uh, that my husband and I engage in uh, the wonderful acts of fornication, it is an act of rebellion against the status quo. Uh, and he is out of town right now, but as soon as we get reunited, we will be rebellion. Mm. fists and so much more in the air Uh, (laughs) I love it I love it I love it and for you know what for those who uh, are not partnered right no oh you know we can find that beautiful queer rebellion as well with ourselves hey with like with man-made toys right so (laughs) find that in your bed your shower your car i think that or libraries i would think that kimmy was like libraries i was like yes libraries with all this like words like i'm surrounded by from like elders of course with your your partner or partners or just Mm -hmm. random person whose name you do not know uh, (laughs) or yourself i am all for it uh this has really been a a fantastic conversation that really just kind of reinstilled and reminded uh i think us of how important it is for us to live our lives shamelessly and fully um and just embrace and elevate the parts of us that make us who we are and in that hopefully we can as i feel like kemi has done um empower other people to continue to live their lives that way so it really has oh so i know let's go live our lives i know (laughs) let's go let's go um let's go thank some people so let's thank the audience audience Thank you so much. I want to do a little special like shout out to Io because Io's been since like since January, really. Since <laughs> he's since been on. Just <laughs> the jump. Io has been a fantastic uh, viewer and watcher, and all of the people that have been watching. Uh, thank you, Io, to that wonderful question. Um, if you are joining us for the first time, or if you've been here before and you just haven't gotten onto it, uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, the handle is Words and Shh. Even though we only have one more episode this season, we are going to be posting about uh, reminding you of all the amazing episodes that we had this past season, and you know what's coming maybe next year. Uh, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter for all of that fun stuff. And if you want to listen to this episode or past episodes, you can always find um, them on YouTube or anywhere that you feel or you get your podcast. Right? Uh, we have this is our third season. Our third season, yeah. And we have plenty, plenty of episodes for you to catch up on, even if you're bored in the break, okay? Mm-hmm. So give us a follow. And then over, coming. Oh. over 75 episodes are now currently available on our YouTube or our podcast. And like I think Ebony Stewart says this about poetry festivals, you go for your favorites and you leave with new ones. So you'll definitely mm-hmm. find some names on there that you know and love and want to listen to, but then listen to the ones that you don't know because you will walk away with some new favorite authors. Um, so like Raquel said, like we've mentioned, we're closing out season three next week. We will be back for our final episode of season three. It's just going to be me and Raquel. Uh, who doesn't love that? Uh, 
but it will be the two of us reminiscing on this past season, this past year, talking about the future, our hopes, our aspirations, what comes next, where we've been, what we've gone through, our favorites, uh, sharing some of our own work as well. And uh, we will also be, for the first time since we started this, raffling off. Uh, we had some uh, incredible authors that donated some of their books mm-hmm. uh, to be raffled off to our viewers. Uh, I have some t-shirts. There's some. There, we're going to be giving away prizes and the only way that you're going to be able to get those is by tuning in live next week and maybe answering some trivia questions so maybe between now and then go back and refresh yourself on some courses i don't know i don't know how we're gonna do it but we're gonna give away free shit oh well i'm so excited i'm so excited to end the season it's been uh a year with you which i mean it's been a pleasure um you know from coming to all our other Poets that we've been um, interviewing this past year. I'm just, I can't wait. I can't wait to end the season with you. So thank you. And I think that's it. That's all we have to say. That's it. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there. All right, Bendy Sonosol. Bye.